Okay, uh, John 11. We've already discussed John 11 briefly last time, but we're going to discuss it this time. And it'll t- that's not a Bible. I'm not. Let me get your Bible. It is a Bible. But you know what I think? Did you, did you bring your glasses? Yeah, well, mine are in the car. They're in the car. But that's okay. If you read then, okay, I'll, okay. I'll pay attention. Um, yeah, there's other versions if you're interested. Oh, thank you. No, it's okay. Okay. We just share one glasses here. <laughs> oh, okay. Peter, why don't you begin and read verses 1 to 16. John 11, 1 to 16. Would you like the King James? I can see. Okay. I share my glasses with him. Gotcha. <laughs> thank you. <coughs> 1 to 16. The death of Lazarus. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet... You are going back there? (coughs) Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Bernice, you want to read next? Uh, Verses 17. I read you one verse. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Okay, John, want to read down to verse 27. Yeah, sure. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, 
even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you, und- do you believe this? Mm-hmm. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to, into the world. Beautiful. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her also weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who have opened the, who opened the eyes of the blind man could have kept this man from dying? Let me read that again. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his head and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in the cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Peter, would you read verse this is 45 to 50, no, yeah, 54. 45 to 54. <clears throat> Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert 
to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Excuse me, uh, when, they, when they talk about the children of God that have been scattered, I mean, I'm guessing they're talking about the ten lost tribes. The ten diaspora, okay. what, what we call the yeah. diaspora. Okay, okay. All right, comments, questions? There's so much here. Bethany was, was not that far away. Mm-mm. I mean, Jesus could have just, as soon as he got word, he could have gone right to Lazarus. But it appears that by purposeful intent, he tarried. Mm-hmm. This kind of did wasn't look like for the God of life. They just think about, okay, heal now. You know, heal, heal the blind, you can avoid him to die. But he never thought about you know, he raised somebody from the dead. Yeah, it's it's very deliberate that Jesus stays away. Um, do you think Lazarus could have died if he had gone to his side? Can death exist in the presence of the life giver? So he deliberately waits. Um, if we've ever had that answer to our prayers, <coughs> maybe the story can comfort us. Mm-hmm. That God has a greater plan in allowing our loved ones to rest uh, when we would prefer he come and heal them and raise them up. Well, you know, that's something I had to face when I was in my 20s when both my parents died. My dad went very quickly from a heart attack, and that, and that was a much easier death because, you know, he, he didn't suffer a long time. But my mom died from bone cancer, and she was taken from us over about a three, three-and-a-half-year um, period. And, um, and she was very spiritual and was convinced that if she had more faith, God would heal her. And she didn't understand why she wasn't getting better. But she didn't blame God. She blamed herself. She says, I don't have enough faith. If I have more faith, God, I know God wants to heal me, but, but, but I'm not doing my part, you know. And then, like, one, not too long after um, she became incontinent, I told, you know, she was crying because she's like, you know, you know, I'm getting worse, I'm not getting better, you know, I'm not listening to God. And I said, Mommy, don't you realize, like, we're all mortals here on this earth. We're all, we're all going to die. But like you've already been healed in the in the only way that that's eternal, and that's because you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. So like, so you can go. You know, we're going to miss you. We're going to cry when you go, but you're not going to feel any pain because the next conscious moment you're going to see Jesus. You know, so it's okay. It's it's okay to to, to, to let go. And and within probably four days of that, you know, I, I took her to the hospital. And she went into a coma a couple of days later and, and passed. So um, that probably but, allowed her to let go. Yeah. You know, they, it, it's, I think studies have shown that when people don't have resolution yeah. and they don't have permission to go, yeah, yeah. they hang on much longer and suffer much longer yeah, yeah. Um, until finally someone gives them permission yeah, yeah. to let go. Mm, but it was, it was, that was hard. But, you know, I mean, but on the other hand, I felt it bothered me for a long time that she kept blaming herself, mm-hmm. you know. Well, just think how Jesus is going to deal with that one. Yeah, yeah. She mm-hmm. opens her eyes again. Yeah, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it isn't the level of faith that we need because <clears throat> Jesus said all you need is a grain of a mustard seed of faith, which is mm-hmm. it's almost microscopic uh, level of faith. Uh, and say to this mountain, move, and it moves. There's something much greater going on. And sometimes that is, uh, you can find the answer to that in Job. And sometimes you can find the answer to that here, where Jesus has a direct and deliberate purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why do you think he waited until Lazarus had been dead four days? 
I think the, just the evidence that he was truly dead, yeah. you know. Um, he, that, uh, the King James Version of uh, verse, I can't see what's here in one, just one page. Uh, that verse, um, Lord, he stinketh, right. verse 39. Yeah. yeah. It's rotten already. Um, well, there's nothing like human flesh smell, rotting. rotting. Mm-hmm. That smell is just unforgettable. So um, this is clear evidence that he's dead, but there's a specific reason why he has to be dead that many days. Jews believed that the spirit hovered around the body. They believed in dualism. They do? They, they did. Wow. They believed in, in dualism back in Jesus' day. That's why Jesus tells the story of the rich man Lazarus. Mm-hmm, okay. uh, he's talking to people who really believe that, that story in, the way, the, in a more literal way than we do. So they believed that the spirit of a dead person hovered around the dead. And this is not true to their Hebrew Bible. This is, this is brought, brought about by Hellenism, right. the Hellenistic gotcha. uh, influence of the Jews. So, so they believe the spirit is hovering around the corpse for three days. And only on the fourth day is the spirit gone permanently. So Jesus waits until the fourth day to raise Lazarus from the dead. And you notice what he says back here in verse 14 or 15. For your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. This is an act of Jesus to create faith. So why is this act so much more important for faith than any other healing? Or she's raised other people to the bed, Jairus' daughter, the, the son of the widow of Nain, the Roman centurion. Mm-hmm. Why is this act of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead so significant and powerful for faith? Mm-hmm. Because that's what the essence of it is, is faith. It's probably why in verse 35... Jesus wept. He was so overcome because the evidence suggests a lack of faith on some. Well, we're going to come to that. But let's talk about faith first. Why is this? Why is raising someone from the dead so important? I mentioned this last week. Mm-hmm. There were two parties in Judaism: the Pharisees. And the Sadducees, right? And the Sadducees. Well, the Sadducees the, believed they couldn't be resur- resurrected. Exactly. Right? The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection uh-huh. from the dead. And they were really possible. the more powerful element in the Sanhedrin, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, correct. Okay. Because the priests, uh-huh. the priests were Sadducees. Okay, gotcha. And it was the bulk of the Sanhedrin were priests. Okay. So the, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. And they cast kind of this long shadow of doubt across the Jewish nation, even though the Pharisees did believe in a resurrection and, mm-hmm. and were constantly arguing with the Sadducees about it. So this disbelief or unbelief and belief in the supernatural power of God right. corresponds in evangelical Christian well, not evangelical Christianity, in Christianity as a whole, to evangelical Christianity who pretty much believes in the supernatural. Jesus' miracles are real and, and all of that. And, and then the, the mainstream Christian 
folk, mainstream Protestants, who believe Jesus was just a, a man who, a good man who died a tragic death, mm-hmm. uh, and the resurrection and the miracles are not significant. So you have these two these two pendulums in Christianity. <clears throat> now we know that the Pharisees tried to stone him. Yeah, they would have done it if they could have mm-hmm. without taking him to the Sanhedrin. Mm-hmm. They just would have put him down and said later, look, he blasphemed. That was, that was mm-hmm. The Sadducees want to put him to trial because they run the Sanhedrin pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the Sadducees, of course, that don't believe in the resurrection. And it's sort of, if you understand the great controversy, as God always waiting on us mm-hmm. to make up our minds, mm-hmm. then just because the Pharisees want him dead isn't enough. Jesus has kind of hung out with Sadducees too, and they kind of like him. They don't rub him the wrong way. They don't try to push him out. Um, they don't try to stone him. Until he steps on their toes. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. And here, at the resurrection of the dead, when a man's been dead four days, mm-hmm. he can't get around that. That is the closest thing you can get to proof. And I, I say that because there's a difference between proof and evidence. Mm-hmm. Evidence is, is just that. It's... it's uh, it's indicators that something is true. Mm-hmm. It's something that supports something that is true. It gives us a reason to believe. Proof is something in your face you can't deny. Evidence you can deny. Evidence you can tweak. You can you can manipulate. You can you can um, interpret. Mm-hmm. But it still usually requires some element of faith. It takes the willingness to believe, right, really, right, right. to accept the evidence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Whereas proof is yeah. undeniable. Right. You can't get around it. Yeah. You no longer have the right <clears throat> to doubt. And thus comes the closest to what we see in the story of Lazarus, is mm-hmm. that there's undeniable evidence of Jesus' divinity mm-hmm. and that the Sadducees are wrong, which Jesus, by the way, said earlier, remember when that dispute over a man dies who had uh, how many, no, a woman dies who had how many husbands and which husband will be hers in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, uh, you don't know the power of God. Uh, We'll be like the angels in heaven. And by the way, you're wrong about the (laughs) no resurrection. You're just wrong. (laughs) he, He lays it out. Um, he said that, but now he's showing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. There is resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> and so now it's like, it's like God has been saying, okay, I know the Pharisees don't want me, but what about the Sadducees? Do you still hang on? If you still want me, I'm here. And finally, they don't make up their mind. Very, uh, Sadducees don't make up. Sadducee-type people don't make up their minds very fast. They play little doubting games for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jesus decides to bring it to a head. It's time. 
It's time for him to go to the cross. It's time for this to come to a head. And the way to do it is to get the Sadducees against him and to join hands with the Pharisees. And they make that decision to put him to death. So much of the gospel is compressed. Like from that time prior to the time he was on the cross, it's maybe a week, maybe. Yeah. Close to it because that Sunday we know he's in right. in Jerusalem, and right. then that Friday he's on the cross. Right. I think I think it's that close. Yeah. So. Well, this is the last event. This is yeah. the last thing Jesus does before his triumphal entry on Sunday morning. Right, right, right. And by Sabbath he's dead. Yeah. Right. That's so so things happen very very quickly. Yeah, yeah. One, once that determinate point has been made has come. Uh, so Jesus deliberately gives evidence close to proof. Uh-huh of his uh, divinity, of the power of the resurrection, uh, the fact that the Sadducees are wrong, knowing that it's going to close his ministry. Just like that. You know, it's interesting because we talk about Caiaphas saying like he prophesied that, you know, Jesus should die. I mean, I don't think that was just out of hatred. You know, like you know, you know what I mean. I think it's like this is this is a you know God. This will appease God if Jesus dies. So there's more to. I, I, there's I, definitely. I hope one day I understand there's all definitely yeah. atonement, false atonement theology right. in what Caiaphas says. And Ellen White actually says that in Desire of Ages um, that he appealed to the ancient principle of child of human sacrifice uh-huh. to wow. put Jesus to death. Yeah, and human sacrifice was done to appease divine wrath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, what I think Caiaphas appealed to Caiaphas. Let's let's do a little history here. I've actually written a long paper on this. Mm. Caiaphas knows the long-term history of the Jews. It seems. Mm-hmm. And, and John uses the particular term, the Jews, not as the Jewish nation, mm-hmm. more, but more as a designation for the Jews who came back from Babylonian captivity okay. with Babylonian influence. Okay. And in the trial of Jesus, if you study Matthew's gospel, you study John's gospel, in the trial of Jesus... There's indication that Caiaphas was familiar with a certain procedure, a legal procedure known as the oath of innocence. Uh-huh. The swearing of an, an assertory oath that I did not do this. Uh-huh. And you swore it before the gods. Uh, this was Babylonian in, in many ways. Uh-huh. And um, so they were to swear their innocence. And he asked Jesus to do that. And Jesus has said, no, no swearing. Okay. Um, but he uses, and, and I'll try to bring this material uh, when we actually deal with uh-huh. G- the trial of Jesus. But, but he uses this, this that goes back to Babylonian influence. It's also, to me, suspicious that he is using the, what is called the Sharpuki ritual, uh-huh. uh, the substitute king ritual that was attempted to be done on Alexander the, or on behalf of Alexander the Great mm-hmm. when he conquered Babylon. The Babylonian priests read the omens that, that Alexander the Great was going to die. He died in Babylon. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, 
he, they asked to do this. They wanted to do this uh, Sharpuki ritual, which in the in the Sharpuki ritual, which we know best from Assyrian, uh, the Assyrians, um, because we have more documentation about it. But it was apparently done in Babylon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when when the omens all were all negative against the king, they would dethrone the king. The king would have to go out somewhere else, and then they would put in his place a substitute king. Mm. That's Shar Puki, is king of substitution. Uh, they would put a substitute king in his place that would reign for as many as 100 days. And at the end of those days, they would reinstate the real king in a banquet, take the substitute king and his wife out and execute them. What? Because then the omens were fulfilled. The omens were that the king would die. Well, the king died. And you have to understand this legally. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and, and there's some suspicion in my mind that when he says it's better for one man to die than the whole nation perish, you see, the king, the whole nation is dependent on the kings <coughs> reigning. And if Jesus claims to be the king of the Jews, and this is the great dispute in John, is he the king of the Jews? Well, if Jesus claims to be the king of the Jews, and he's a blasphemer saying he's God, and he's going to cause us, the Romans, to come and deal with us because we have a king. Even though they have Herod. <laughs> but but they, they just, Herod is there because he's a puppet of Rome. So, and Jesus is no puppet, and they know that. So, so this is really dangerous. So, it, it just makes sense huh. to do the Sharpuki ritual. Interesting. You know, it made me think about... Um, you know, Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus, who was really more of an archaeologist than a politician, and how, like, he, he there's an uh, inscription they found where, like, he went away and put his son in, in charge, and, of course, his son, and, and, and he's given counsel not to drink too much and all this and behave, and then while he's mm-hmm. away on some on this ex- exercise, you know, he loses the kingdom, but, um, you know, it's, it's like, um, you, know, you can almost see pieces of that in there, I mean, because, you know, Belshazzar's killed, but by um, you know the medians, you know so yeah. wow, but the but you know some of, I mean like obviously the, the Persians were very wise rulers in a lot of ways they they left like vassals like in Babylon like Daniel was still in power mm-hmm. you know after well, they took over well, so like some like, of those priests still had some like a lot of if this was an ancient Near Eastern practice you uh-huh. conquer another nation uh, you don't upset their apple cart uh-huh. you don't change anything yeah. you just take over. Uh, so the same people, same players are playing. Right, right. But no, in the, in this case with Jesus, this is definitely substitutionary mm. human sacrifice mm. with Jesus. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it reeks of Babylonian practice, mm. which has strong implications for Jesus' death in the book of Revelation and yes, the call to am. come out of Babylon. Yeah. But wow. we're running ahead of our story. That's very interesting. Um <clears throat> So Jesus creates this, this crown and climax, and the question I, I think is, is burning in my head today on this passage is this thing of belief and unbelief. Mm-hmm. I've often wondered why, since faith means so much to God, he doesn't provide greater and clearer evidence for things like a six-day creation week or resurrection, or miracles, 
or things that people doubt. And it's come to me in reading this, this chapter that there's a fine line that God walks between giving adequate evidence for faith and giving absolute proof, uncontrovertible tr- pr- proof that can't be questioned and thus using force. The, I, my my belief is that God will never force the truth on people. But once He gives the absolute full evidence and the proof of His existence or His miracles or whatever it is we question, mm-hmm. we have we have to make a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't waffle any longer. <coughs> we can't play our doubting, believing games. We have to decide, and well, and and if he pushes that, <coughs> if he pushes that evidence on us, <coughs> or that proof on us too soon, he's guilty possibly of forcing us mm-hmm. to that conclusion, because we're so overwhelmed by the evidence that we're not making a a conscious deliberate and voluntary choice anymore. We're making a knee-jerk choice of, well, it's proved. I, I have to believe. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, and I try to tell my kids this in personal money management class of all things. Don't make the mistake of thinking that either you choose God or you choose Satan. Only God loves you enough to give you a choice if you don't consciously choose him He's got you by, Satan's got you by default. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's like, you know, God's a gentleman. He stands at the door of your heart and he right. knocks, but you choose to let him in. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think that's why God allows plenty of room for doubt. Because it's the only way he can preserve our freedom. Mm-hmm. But when we become, when the die is cast and everybody's made up their mind, that's when God is likely to give the crowning evidence because now the window of belief is very small or very large, depending on which side you've chosen. And what's going to happen is the larger it is, the more confer- confirmation that gives. It simply solidifies it. The harder your heart is against the light you already have, then when further light comes... You're less likely to believe why. Because you have to back down. And who wants to back down? That's a pride issue. Um, and so that seems to be where these uh, these Sadducees are. You know, you would think they would go, Oh, we've been wrong all these years. <laughs> <laughs> there is a resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got to destroy the person that created Exactly. The and they, they even sought to destroy Lazarus. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Why? laughs> Wow. Let's destroy the evidence. <laughs> you know? Yeah, this thing of belief and unbelief is tricky. And in terms of our freedom, this is why I think we have this more the more open ended, more room for doubting. Um and it's it's just too humbling. 
the, the real root of this problem of unbelief, I think, is pride. It's too humbling to have to admit we don't have all the answers. We can't explain it completely. We can't, can't fully prove it to absolute nth degree. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to rely on the weight of evidence. Mm-hmm. Even if the world says that evidence doesn't exist. So, um, this is the age of unbelief. I don't believe the days of evidence are gone. I believe God is going to provide lots of evidence before Jesus comes of his ability to do many things Mm -hmm. that we sometimes doubt he can. But I think it's important to recognize that faith is a choice. Mm -hmm. It isn't something that happens. It's something... Uh, we have to seek him. We have to search for him with all our hearts before we can find him. And if we have a divided heart, an iffy heart, mm-hmm. uh, we aren't going to find him. Mm-hmm. So, so this, you know, I've always, I, I've always wondered why Jesus' crowning act, his, his last act, you might say. I mean, there's a few other little acts that happen next week, but but his last major act is over the resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. Why is that so important? To be established. And what does it tell us about God's character? That he raises people mm-hmm. from the dead. You know, death is not his intention for us. It's something we brought on ourselves, you know, through this world of sin that we... Jesus only, you know, this is a, a great <clears throat> illustration of this fact. Jesus did not kill Lazarus. Right. He allowed him to die. So, and by default, you to say, well, he ended his life because he wouldn't come and be there. But Jesus did not directly kill Lazarus. Right. The disease of, the, of this world took Lazarus' life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes and gives him life. It's an illustration of John 10.10. 10. Mm-hmm. The thief comes to kill steal, kill, and destroy, I have come that they might have life. Amen. And they might have mm-hmm. them abundantly. So we have our evidence. And for some, that means they follow Jesus more ardently, joyfully. And for others, that means they try to put him to death. Just as the Jews were divided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about the shaking... That. Of the church. Mm-hmm. What is it going to take to bring us to decision? Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is an, an unfinished story. I think it's a story going on today. Mm-hmm. And I think we can only wait to see how it ends. So with that, let's have prayer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gracious Father, we thank you that You waited to come to Lazarus' side until he was dead so that we might believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Mm -hmm. May we focus on you. May we focus on your life and recognize how important it is to us that you are the life giver.
and not the destroyer. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.